0: Tonight's talk, I hope, will be really addressing both those who are very new to this kind of meditation practice but also those that may have been doing this for decades. The The gist of it is really how not to take things so personally, which might sound like a light thing, but it's everything. <laughs> I'd like to start with one of my favorite pieces of historical It's not quite trivia, but information in some level. Once the English had colonized India and established their businesses, they yearned for recreation and decided to build a golf course in Calcutta. But golf in Calcutta would prove to have a unique obstacle. Monkeys from a nearby habitat would drop out of the trees, scurry across the course, and seize the golf balls. The monkeys would play with the balls, tossing them here and there. At first, the golfers tried to control the monkeys. Their strategy was to build high fences around the fairways and greens. This approach, which seemed initially to hold much promise, was abandoned when the golfers discovered that a fence is no challenge to an ambitious monkey. Next, the golfers tried luring the monkeys away from the course. But the monkeys found nothing as amusing as watching humans go wild whenever their little white balls were disturbed. (laughs) In desperation, the British began trapping and relocating the monkeys, but for every monkey they carted off, another would appear. Finally, the golfers gave into reality and established a rather novel ground rule for that particular course. Golfers in Calcutta were obliged to play the ball wherever the monkey dropped it. LAUGHTER So I think they were on to something in terms of the uh, spiritual path, playing the ball where the monkey drops it. So um, it's not hard to relate to that if we really look at ourselves. Every one of us wants life to go a certain way, whether it's in the small minute particulars, you know, not running into traffic, are the really very big important things to do with what we love and cherish, we want things to go a certain way. And we want pleasure and we don't want pain, you know, on all levels. We want to feel safe and we want to feel loved. And inevitably, inevitably, life does not cooperate with how we want it. The monkeys throw the balls every which way. And we know that. We see it globally it's it 's so sad to see what 's happening with you know in Burma, with this cyclone and then this kind of powerless feeling so many of us have, just knowing how many people are suffering, and then now in China, you know with the earthquake, and we could we could just go around to every continent and sense how on some level the monkeys are throwing the balls all around, and there 's huge, huge suffering, and then we look at our own lives and you know, whether a relationship that's falling apart or something's not working out for our our children, our loved one dies, we become sick, there's a relapse, an addiction. So the big question, and this is kind of what we'll be exploring tonight, is when the monkeys throw a ball in a way that really is not according to what we, how we wanted. how do we respond with a wise heart? How do we respond in a way that actually frees us rather than entangles us in suffering? And the bottom line, the given — this is, we're going to come back to again and again and again — is that if you want to suffer, tell yourself things should be different. If you want to suffer, have some argument with how it is. Because in the moment that there's this sense, it shouldn't be like this, something bad is happening to me and all that comes with that, there's a dividedness and we suffer. And I want to say right up front, that doesn't mean that we don't see the inhumanity on this planet and the injustice and the um, incredible ignorance with the way we treat the earth and respond out of compassion to what's happening. But how not to react out of fear and dividedness is the question. So I frequently use a metaphor, I'm more frequently using it, that I find really helpful from the Buddhist texts, where the Buddha described how when the monkeys throw the ball in a way we don't like, that's the first arrow. That's like we're hit, but there's a sense of, there's an arrow, there's in some way an unpleasantness, emotionally, physically, whatever. And then the second arrow is what's called the papancha, that's the Pali word which I love, which is proliferation, which is all the ways that we make sense of what's happening and tell ourselves, I'm to blame, you're to blame, it shouldn't happen, this is what else is going to go wrong. It's everything that circles around the basic sense of, ow, pain in this body, emotional pain, fear. There's not suffering until there's the proliferation. In one simple way, we can say this proliferation is what Ajahn Buddhadasa, one Thai teacher, called eyeing and mying, that something happens and then we immediately begin telling stories about how it's happening to an I who's the victim, an I who's at fault, that it's my problem, that then there's blame either outward or towards inward, towards ourselves. And so that Rather than playing the ball where the monkey dropped it, we are at war with how it is. That's papancha, that's proliferation. I uh, was teaching with a few others our, our spring retreat last week, and somebody who knows I like these things brought me a little cartoon. And it's got this little dog looking up at his master, and the master saying, Sorry, Oscar. You can't come back as a human. That would be regressing. (laughs) And I like that. Dogs, you know, they say dogs are God in reverse, but dogs don't proliferate. You know, what happens, happens. But there's not this added on telling the stories and making the meanings that end up locking us in suffering. So to explore this papancha a little more so that Ideally, we can see when we're sitting or moving through the day how it is that we create this dividedness and this suffering, how we're in reaction to where the monkeys throw the ball. The basic mechanism of papancha is that when it's pleasant, we proliferate by grasping on and trying to figure out how can we hold on to this, how can we get more of this. You know, there's a kind of a tightening around things. And that when it's unpleasant the proliferation is, something's wrong, something's bad, something more is going to go wrong, how am I going to figure out how to get out of this problem? And tonight I'm going to emphasize the main vehicle of papancha, which is the stories that we tell ourselves. Because as you notice, the main training here, when we're meditating, is how to notice when we've gone off in the trance of thinking. Because if you can get the knack of realizing, oh, telling stories, judging, planning, worrying, if you can get the knack of noticing that and saying, okay, just come back for this moment, you're beginning to open the gate to freedom, to be able to step out of the stories. And the converse is, if you can't wake up out of the stories, there's no way to really have any freedom when the monkeys throw the ball in the way you don't like it. So our whole sense of self is maintained by this inner dialogue. We are constantly talking to ourselves about how the world is and who we are and how others are going to relate to us and what we need to do to be okay. And as, as many of you know, if you really, really get honest a lot of what we do when we're with each other is to present a self that will then be approved of. And we're constantly telling ourselves stories about how we need to be to get that approval. So we plan, we worry. One of the little one-liners that I always loved is this Jewish mom sends her son a telegram and it says, start worrying, details to follow, you know. <laughs> and I really like that one. (laughs) (laughs) So if there's any suffering going on, one of the first ways to be able to stop this proliferation is just to ask yourself, what am I believing right now? Just that question, just pausing and saying, what am I believing? I mean, I know for myself that when I am unhappy, when I am in some way down, and I really investigate, I find that in some way I have this notion that I'm falling short. It's almost almost always there when I'm feeling bad. Now I'm not talking about the grief that comes naturally with a sense of loss. I'm talking about the kind of knot of suffering that's got this proliferation to it, this kind of sense of restlessness and not-okayness, that we get entangled in. And when that's going on, underneath that there's some core belief of failing, I'm failing. And if I can even catch a glimmer of that, if I can even recognize, oh, okay, again, I'm having this sense of a not-okay self. If I can catch that, I'm not as identified with it. We take it personally if we don't see it's going on. So when something's really difficult, when the monkeys drop a ball in a way that really threatens what we cherish, our own life or another person's lives, then the stories can become very charged and take over. And it's great to be able to practice meditation before something like that happens so that you have some skill in not getting caught in the stories because it takes some skill. Our primary way of seeking security and of getting oriented and of feeling like we've got some ground under us is to try to make sense of things. So if you watch, you'll notice that a lot of moments are trying to figure out something. That there's a there's sense of trying to work out a problem One writer said that life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. And yet, because we're in this clutch of fear, we take what I call false refuge and we're constantly trying to figure out an answer to a problem. The assumption is there's a problem here. Something bad is happening to me or going to happen to me. So we get caught in that trying to figure out to get safe. And what happens is the more we obsess, the more the mind circles around the same fears, the more we have this biochemistry of fear, and actually we bring on to ourselves more of what we're fearing because we're hurting our bodies, hurting ourselves emotionally, our behaviors end up being not the way we want them. We make ourselves miserable. I sometimes describe our our thinking mind as kind of this TV set that's out of control going from channel to channel to channel. And, you know, how many of the channels are discovery channel, right? You know, not that many. There's this cartoon that has this guy that's um, driving and he's approaching this this desert and it says, you and your own tedious thoughts next 200 miles, you know. (laughs) but they're worse than tedious often it's when, again when the monkeys throw the ball how we don't want them they start um, fixating and they fixate in a way that perpetuates a sense of fear and dividedness this is a little uh, it's kids in church after the christening of his baby brother in church Jason sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car his father asked him three times what was wrong finally the boy replied That preacher said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home and I wanted to stay with you guys. (laughs) So we fixate. So we're talking about adding the second arrow and what happens is not only internally do we create suffering. I'm thinking of with um, 9-11 and so many junctures where you can see how the cycles of violence have been perpetuated. When we're uncomfortable and we start telling ourselves stories and there's this sense of have to do something to make it better and then we act in ways that are coming from a divided, fearful place and we actually deepen the groove of violence and aggression. Um, this is the way Mahatma Gandhi put it. He said, Your beliefs become your thoughts... Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your character. Your character becomes your destiny. So, this papancha, this proliferation, starts with something happens, and then we start revving up the thoughts. Some basic beliefs of I am wrong, I am bad, you're wrong, something bad's happening to me. In other words, we take it personally the eyeing and the mying. And then out of those thoughts, we act. And those actions end up creating our character and our karma, our destiny. And so, the big question really is when things get thrown off in our lives in a way that we don't like them, how to break that chain of reactivity, this papancha, how not to go down that track of telling ourselves stories about what's wrong. And probably the most basic training I've mentioned already is to begin to notice the stories The other hand-in-hand basic training is to be able to come into your body, and you can explore this right now, just be able to say, okay, let me arrive right here and feel in your body what is happening. Those are the two trainings. Come out of the stories and come into your body. Can you do it right now? You're listening to a lot of words. Can you, even right now let yourself arrive in your body, let your senses be awake. Can you sense the difference between any thought and the vividness of sensory immediate reality, this here-ness? The papancha happens because we take false refuge in our stories. The freedom happens when we begin to recognize the stories and come here. And I'm going to give you an example of this. This is a story that is in The Wise Heart, Jack Kornfield's new book, which I recommend highly to all of you. It's a book on Buddhist psychology and it's very relevant to us in the West. One woman, Paula, came to meditate after a wrenching divorce. So this is the, um, the monkeys throwing the ball in a very painful way. Her husband had left her and their six-year-old son. Her grief was great, as was her fear and anger. She worked to become mindful of her feelings over many weeks. Beneath Paula's fears, a voice kept telling her a story about how unlovable she was and how she would always be left, abandoned. I inquired about how long she had sensed herself this way. Paula replied that this was the story of her life. When she was three years old, her own father had walked out and abandoned both Paula and her mother and died several years later. Growing up, she felt that somehow his leaving was her fault. Paula believed that she was the problem, flawed and unlovable." So I'm going to just stop and just say a few things. So the setup is, just like all of us, something happened, the monkeys threw the ball in a painful way, and we begin to sense that she's suffering, and what's fueling the suffering is the story she tells herself about, I'm unlovable, anybody that gets to know me or is with me will eventually leave me. Okay? For weeks I listened to Paula exploring her divorce with all the attendant grief, anger, and fear. She began to practice letting go of ideas and thoughts and holding her body and her painful history in compassion. Finally, Paula was ready to go back to the most painful scene of all. I asked her to close her eyes and remember that night her father left. She was three years old wearing a light blue cotton dress, standing at the top of the stairs listening to her parents fight. Then she saw her father pick up his suitcase and without looking up at her, storm out of the door and out of her life it was agonizing. He didn't even look at me. He didn't say anything to me. When I asked what this little girl was thinking, she said, I did something wrong, there's something wrong with me, otherwise he would have stayed. Okay, so she's going back to what she's, the deep belief, and when it happened, when it got set in. Paula held this grief-stricken little three-year-old in compassion. She felt the pain directly, the raw pain, and held that pain with a tender heart. After some time, I asked her to imagine that she could enter the experience of her father standing at the door. When you become him, how does your body feel, I asked, awful, tight, rigid, like I could explode. I'm terrified. I'm stuck in a terrible marriage in a dead-end job. We fight all the time and I'm losing my life. I have to escape. I have to run away to save my life. And now, as you pick up your suitcase to go out the door, do you know that your daughter Paula is standing there at the top of the stairs? I do, but I can't look at her. I can't, or I could never leave. I love her so much, but if I don't leave, I'll die. I have to get out. Paula began to weep for her father and his fear for everyone's pain. So Again, I'm going to stop and say, when she could step out of the thoughts and the stories and directly feel the grief, she, began, she then had the capacity to see behind the veil, to see something deeper than the belief she had been telling herself. Now sitting quietly, I asked her about the story she had told herself, that she had done something wrong, that she was unlovable. "'Who made up this story?' I asked. She replied sheepishly, "'I did.' "'Is it true?' "'No, not really.' She half smiled at me. "'Are you sure?' She laughed. "'We talked about whether she wanted to keep repeating the story of unlovability. "'Who are you if not this story?' I asked. "'Who are you if not this story?' I asked. "'We looked at one another in the stillness of the heart, "'outside of her fears, outside of time.' We sat together in the sacred beauty of the present that contains all stories and yet so much more. So we can ask ourselves the same question. Whatever is going on, whatever in our life is difficult, if we're in a reaction where there's suffering, we can find out, what story am I telling myself? And there's going to be a story about a self that's separate because all the suffering comes from a story about a self that's separate. Always there's a story that divides us from the rest of the world. So what I'd like to invite you to do, we'll just explore this a little and then take the next step in this inquiry about how to respond when the monkeys throw the ball. But the first step now, as I described, is working with these beliefs. So if you will, just let your attention go inward for those of you that are new very often we'll take whatever we're talking about and bring it home to what's really happening in our lives so pause right now you might close your eyes and sense you're giving yourself the gift of pausing and an opportunity to do a little healing with something in your life and you might sense if there's something difficult going on, something where the Monkeys have thrown a ball into a place that's not the way you wanted it. And every one of us, there's something where we have some argument, some wanting it different. And it might be because of something happening to another person or happening to us, something happening with another person, relationship. some sense of failure some place where there's loss and when you've got the situation in mind let yourself go to where you sense is really the kind of epicenter of what's difficult This is a situation where in some way it's not the way you wanted it. And you might sense what's the deep or core belief that makes this so difficult. Is it that you're going to lose something you love? Is it that you're flawed, that you're failing? that you are unlovable. There is always, if there is suffering, some story about a self and what is going wrong or going to go wrong. If you sense what you are believing you might sense how it lives in your body, what it's like to believe this, how it feels in your body to believe this. And sometimes it helps just to put your hand on your heart and just feel that you're keeping company with what's right here, that there's a kind of a kind presence that keeps company. So you sense how it feels to believe that you're failing or that you're unlovable or that you're gonna lose something precious. so that you acknowledge the belief but feel how it feels in your body and breathe with that. Offer kindness to that, just the way this woman offered compassion to that hurting younger place in her. Sense the place in you that most needs kindness right now. The scared place, the hurting place, the afraid place, the sad place. We learn to respond, not react, by bringing a kind presence to where the vulnerability is within. just being that compassionate presence. And you might ask, what would happen if you didn't believe the story of something wrong, that something's wrong with you or these circumstances? If you just let what's happening be received in a compassionate heart, no proliferation, In a way, it's like saying yes to the vulnerability, just simply straightforward yes to the vulnerability and not getting caught in all the stories. So this is something you can continue on your own. The basic steps are to, when you feel stuck, sense what you're believing and sense what's really vulnerable under there in your body, offer kindness. The second arrow that I'm talking about most typically takes the shape of not only are things difficult, but it's my fault, and I'm bad and The Buddha described this as the fifth hindrance or challenge to all meditation and spiritual practice, the sense of i'm not doing it right doubt this was the main this was the the main hindrance because when we think something's wrong with me it's almost like there's no energy to continue practicing, we lose hope. So some of you might remember um, this reading, Spiritual Fitness, but for those of you that haven't heard it, I'll share it, it's so fun. If you can start the day without caffeine or pep pills, if you can be cheerful ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can overlook when people take things out on you when through no fault of yours something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you are probably a dog." (laughs) So we're back to Oscar again. Remember the little dog that didn't want to regress and be a human? There's a description of our predicament as the big squeeze, which is that every day we find that life's out of control, that the monkeys are throwing balls the way we don't want them. It might be something going on with our body. It might be something going on with another body. But it, do- it doesn't cooperate. And that we watch each day how we're trying to control things. That's the papancha, the proliferation. And we watch how we grasp, we watch how we, our, our ego basically wants to be in charge, we watch how we get offended so easily, we watch how we take ourselves so seriously, how important we feel, we watch how we get jealous, we watch how we overconsume. we do all these things to try to control our experience. So every day we can see how that happens how we get caught in that reactivity to the monkeys, right? And we also can intuit, or we wouldn't be here, this capacity to wake up out of that kind of controlling self and really take refuge in love, take refuge in awareness itself. We would not be here unless we had some intuition of what I call true refuge, which is really our own awakened heart. The answer to what do we do when the monkey throws the ball in a way we don't like it is to take refuge in loving presence, to take refuge in this awake, tender heart that's here. The training is to wake up out of the thoughts that keep telling us that we're not that loving presence, that we're a small, afflicted, oppressed self. It's the only hope. If we believe the story, we stay stuck in this trance. And there's this sense that around the corner it's going to be too much for us. There's this sense that we're alone, we're separate, we're not okay. So the freedom that the Buddha really pointed to is the freedom to, instead of taking that false refuge and telling ourselves the stories and, try and getting caught in the consuming and the fighting and the flighting, okay, the papancha, that we learn to take true refuge in presence. It's inevitable that the monkeys are going to throw the balls, that just, that's the given, the option in spiritual life is that we respond instead of react. So there's a way in which we begin to learn to stay. I like the phrase a lot, Pema Chodron, a wonderful Tibetan teacher coined it, learn to stay, that when something happens and it's not what we like, instead of reacting, there's something in us that goes, oh, stay, just pause, don't run away. Be with this. Be with this. Don't go off into the story. Just stay. That's the beginning of true refuge staying. And what happens is that we stay and we begin to, instead of getting lost in the story, begin to feel a kind of tenderness. We begin to open to the realness that's here. And what happens when we stay, and let's say, I'm going to give you an example in the world. Let's say, we hear about what's happened in Burma and the, te- the tendencies to conduce the proliferation of how bad the government is and how awful it is and this indignation and it, and this anger. And that's, that's a real natural thing. But what if we say, stay? And what if we let the images, I don't know how many of you have watched any of this, but I saw some images that, you know, just broke broke me down on a Sunday night I think it was on 60 Minutes just uh, I think maybe just one image of a, a little girl whose family was dead and just the eyes you know just kind of gazing and you just could just feel that smear of suffering that was just you just felt it so staying means not to go on and on with the story but let yourself feel the suffering let your heart break let yourself grieve it's like we run from the grief we, we get caught in the fear and the worry and the planning and the anger and the blaming we run from the pure vulnerability of loss it hurts we run learning to stay it means that we step out of the stories and we open to what's here In the Lakota Sioux tradition, a person who is grieving is considered most wakan, that means most holy. There's a sense that when someone is struck by the sudden lightening of loss, an openness to that which is beyond this world can occur. This state of holiness is respected. Grieving people's prayers are considered especially strong. It's proper to ask them for their help. most walking, most holy. So this holiness comes when something's happened, the monkeys have thrown the balls in a way we don't like, and instead of reacting, controlling, whatever our way of telling stories, this is taking it personally, the selfing, instead of that, we stay with what's happening in our bodies, in our hearts. And in that staying we touch an openness, a tenderness, which is kind of a homecoming. It has room for other people's hurts and other people's fears. And when we stay, we then can respond to this world. Our actions come from a wise compassion. This isn't about passivity. Playing the ball where the monkeys toss it is not about passivity. It's about accepting, oh, it's like this. Feel it. Be with it. And then respond in a way that's creative, intelligent, compassionate, but not that continues the cycles of ignorance and fear. So in a few moments we're going to do another brief meditation. But I just want to say that I think you can find the words true refuge and false refuge useful if you notice that in small and large ways, every day, there's a sense of, I don't want it like it is, I want it different. And in Buddhism it's called dukkha. And this suffering, you begin to wake up as you begin to notice that in some way there's a sense of being at odds, wanting it different. The practice then becomes actually really simple. If you can notice you're wanting it different, you can begin to see the ways that you create the suffering and take false refuge. Notice what happens. Is your particular habit to start judging yourself? Is it to speed up and get more things done? Is it to eat more food? Is it to get online? Is it all of the above? (laughs) And we all have them, every one of us, notice what happens when something feels amiss, what your particular way of taking false refuge, and then sense your aspiration, sense the aspiration that would bring you here tonight to live from what's real and what's true, to realize who you are beyond that sense of an oppressed self, to realize the love and the presence that really is our refuge when we're not busy running away. So let's just take a few moments again, if you will. And in this pause, in this pause right now, give yourself permission to arrive in a very honest way To let go of any thoughts of the future. And let go of the past. And let go even of what's happening now. This is a surrendering presence, just fully opening to the changing flow. There's no one controlling experience. There's no one it's happening to. Just relaxing with this changing stream, sound. Relax with it. Sensations. Pleasant, unpleasant, just letting this life live through you. Be the open space that receives this life. The silence that's listening. The empty heart it has room for living and dying. Be that loving presence. Dorothy Hunt says, do you think peace requires an end to war? Are tigers eating only vegetables? Does peace require an absence from your boss, your spouse, yourself? Do you think peace will come some other place than here? Some other time than now? In some other heart than yours? Peace is this moment without judgment. That is all. This moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. Peace is this moment without judgment, that is all. This moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. Peace is this moment without thinking that it should be some other way that you should feel some other thing, that your life should unfold according to your plans. Peace is this moment without judgment, that is all. This moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome.